Hello and welcome to the Friday, January 29th, 2021 edition of On Iowa Politics. This week, committees, committees, everybody's got committees, the Reynolds Express, and ranking the candidates. Hi, I'm James Lynch of the Cedar Rapids Gazette. And with me today are Amy Rivers of the Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier. Good morning, Amy. Good morning, James. And Gazette Opinion Editor Todd Dorman. Good morning, Todd. Good morning. You can find us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and subscribe to On Iowa Politics wherever you find your podcast. First up, Budget Hawk. Amy, uh, freshman representative Ashley Henson, told you this week that she wants to be a Budget Hawk, uh, looking at the congressional spending spree even before the coronavirus pandemic. It appears that's a pretty small flock of mm. members of Congress. We talked last week about her assignment to the Appropriations Committee. This week, she scored another A-list uh, assignment. Um, how does a freshman from the minority party get so lucky? <laughs> well, I was wondering that too. I mean, so so the background is she had said that she wanted to, to be on budget and transportation. And uh, side note, she also got named to a transportation subcommittee yesterday. So she's she's getting all her wishes coming true. Um, I think the reason for that, I talked to Chris Larimer over at UNI. He's a, a political professor over there. And, and he thinks that, um, you know, these high profile committee assignments um, – are very significant. Um, it basically immediately raises her profile. Um, she can use that on the campaign trail. She can use that to fundraise. Apparently there are, you know, donors that are attracted to people that are in these committees um, and on the heels of her already, you know, stellar fundraising in the first district, you know, she can use that to really um, build a war chest basically for the next two years, um, which is going to be significant. Um, she's probably going to have a, a pretty good, um, Democratic challenger in the general election in two years. This is a swing district. So I'm, I think it's really important for her to sort of hit the ground running and, and fundraising, um, just like it'll be really important for the Democrats to do that. Um, but yeah, these committees are really significant. She and Feenstra were actually named to budget. So they have an opportunity to sort of, um, you know, be two Iowans on that committee, um, which has, you know, I mean, the last Iowan you might remember on the committee is Jim Nessel for example, um, who was on a longtime member of the committee. And of course, Grassley is a member on the Senate side. So, I mean, being on these committees is can be really powerful. And as a freshman, it really shows, I think, that the party is investing in her. Yeah, I mean, we joke sometimes about, uh, you know, bringing home the bacon. But um, when you think about uh, Hinson on appropriations and budget, Feenster on um, budget, what does this mean for Iowa? Yeah, well, she says it means, you know, she's going to be a hawk for taxpayers, you know, a.k.a. she's going to, you know, try to rein in spending wherever she can. And of course, she is on appropriations as well as budget, as you mentioned. Um, so she has, you know, discretionary and mandatory spending um, sort of at her disposal. She's able to sort of look at all of these numbers as they're coming in and, you know, is really able to sort of have those conversations with her constituents from a position of, you know, knowing about this in advance before they get the bills on the floor. So I think that she can, you know, definitely insert um, what she believes to be Iowa values, um, Iowa taxpayer values into these processes. So for Henson, it's not just a matter of bringing home the bacon, but saving the taxpayers bacon. Definitely. Giving the bacon back to the taxpayers, I would think she would say. <laughs> <No>. That's interesting. <laughs> uh, second District Representative Marionette Miller-Meeks was assigned to the Homeland Security Committee, which has legislation, legislative jurisdiction over the national strategic stockpile, uh, which uh, if maintained properly might be valuable when we face the next pandemic. 
Um, she also said her appointment to the Veterans and Education, uh, Veterans Affairs Committee and Education and Labor put her in a position to help the University of Iowa Hospital Clinics and Iowa City Veterans Hospital. And as you mentioned, Randy Feenstra landed a spot on the Budget Committee as well as the Ag Committee where uh, Representative uh, Cindy Axney serves. So, uh, Todd, I guess Iowa has its bases covered. Yeah, I mean, that's those are all the, you know, the Agriculture Committee is traditionally one that you want Iowa representation on. We've got two members, so that's that's uh, that's good. I mean, that's, you know, they're, they're, they are spread around a lot of topic areas that are of, of interest to Iowans. So those are uh, those are all good assignments. There is some talk that the House might uh, bring earmarks back, but even but without earmarks, um, how much should we expect from three freshmen Congress members of Congress in a, in a second termer? Well, yeah, I mean, the, the minority members are going to have, you know, an uphill time making a mark on some of these on some of the larger uh, bills. But, you know, they can they're going to have Im they're going to have input on on measures that could affect Iowa. They're going to be in the room when they're discussed and debated. So that's that's an advantage. Uh, I mean, I would expect for Henson on budget and appropriations. I, I don't know how much she's how much bacon she's going to bring home or protect, but I'm I'm expecting a lot of press releases on, you know, I can't believe the federal government is spending money on this a uh, million dollars to study bear mating and stuff like like that. I expect I expect Henson will be churning out a lot of that. During like the next Ernst few years. has done. Yeah, as yeah. as Ernst has done, just basically mm -hmm. pointing out. Uh, what sound like absurd uh, expenditures. So, yeah, I think that's when she talks about transparency. I think that's probably what she's talking about. Is she's gonna show us all the the, the crazy stuff? Yeah, you're right. We should put this in context. They are in the minority party in both the House and the Senate. So, so the Democrats do have more members on these committees and will be more likely to be able to push their agenda through. Yeah. So their their primary mission is to uh, help. The Republicans get back in the majority, so it's mm -hmm. they're sort of more going to be more in a political campaign mode, maybe than a legislating mode, with hopes that if they get the majority back, then they can then they can actually start doing some work. Todd um, Hinson seems to be following in the footsteps or the tradition of her predecessors from Eastern Iowa: H.R. Gross, Chuck Grassley, Jim Nussel, as uh, um, Amy mentioned, and Rod Blum. Um, all were fiscal conservatives, were budget hawks, and, and that seems successful for everyone but Rod Blum. Um, are, are, are voters less interested in balancing the budget and, and reining in spending today than they were 20, 40, 50 years ago? Yeah, well, I, I know Republicans were a lot less interested in it during the Trump years because the, the deficit exploded. And because Trump wasn't interested in it. Yeah, he wasn't inter interested in, yeah. in it at all. Uh, so the hawk, you know, now that there's a Democratic president, I mean, the hawks are are back. They've, they've made a comeback. They've they were cryogenically frozen and they've been thawed. So, uh, but right, you know, right now, as far as you know, the American people, I think with the pandemic and and the hopes for more pandemic assistance, maybe another round of checks. I think folks are. Yeah probably more interested in that right now than whether, you know, the budget's balanced. Uh, that, yeah, that may and, change over time, but yeah, I think right now they want spending. 
Hinton mentioned that too. And I asked her about, you know, coronavirus spending, like, okay, yes, you want to rein in spending, but what about the ongoing pandemic? What about, you know, the economic recession? And she said, my number one job is to get them the relief they need, but I think it's important we're cognizant of spending on the bottom line. So I think she and and the other Republicans are sort of saying, yeah, we are going to, you know, push something through. Yeah, they're talking about targeted relief. I think, the, you know, the sticking point will be what else is in that package, things like the $15 an hour wage and those sorts of things that they're going to see as poison pills to uh, uh, passing that. Um, and, and they just want it focused on um, COVID relief, PPP and uh, those sorts of things. So yeah, all that bipartisan stuff will probably disappear quickly. <laughs> it already has on Twitter. Well, there you go. It never was there on Twitter, was it? <laughs> like January 6th for a minute? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you look quickly. <laughs> yep. Speaking of bipartisanship, those whistles you heard this week were the sound of the Iowa Republican Railroad running through the state house. The majority party passed resolutions calling for a gun rights amendment to the state constitution, and another that would declare there's no right to an abortion in the constitution. They also worked late on a Thursday evening to pass back to school plan that Governor Reynolds will sign this morning, Friday morning. Um, if she signs it, uh, well, which she announced just before we began recording this, uh, school, yeah, this just in, <laughs> schools would have to offer 100% in-person instruction for students whose parents um, choose that option beginning as early as February 15th. Um, Todd, would it be fair to say that the Reynolds Express is gathering steam for re-election? Well, I mean, you know, yeah, you look around the state, it's as, it's as red as, you know, a Nebraska football Saturday. So, I, you know, I'd like Ooh, to. That was nice. <laughs> I'd like to, I, you know, she's got to be pretty heavily favored to run for re-election. Mm -hmm. or to, to win re-election, you know, unless, I mean, you know, there are, there are lots of folks that are unhappy with the way she's handled the pandemic and many things, but, uh, you know, there was no sign in the 2020 election that, uh, you know, that Republicans were being held in any way accountable for any of that stuff. So, uh, mm. yeah, I, I think, you know, she, she thinks that it, it's, it's interesting that, you know, the, the school choice bill in particular has, sort of been on on the table for a long time and now it's 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 on the fast track i i guess you know the, the, the enlarged majorities probably have something to do with that maybe there weren't quite the votes mm -hmm. before i mean and yesterday it it only passed with 26 votes in the in the senate mm -hmm. so i mean it's not exactly a, a slam dunk and i i don't know that I, it doesn't sound like the house is going to be rushing to pass it right away which may mean that there's some you know some uh, uh convincing yet to be done but uh yeah i mean these are her agenda is is getting is getting passed unlike last year when she had the big invest in iowa package that got sidetracked by the pandemic but yeah she she's checking off boxes fast and that's you know that's always good news for a governor yeah um you, you know Jeff Kaufman, the chairman of the Republican Party of Iowa, um, recently talked about how the party has never been stronger, um, you know, with the governor, two U.S. senators, three members of Congress, uh, yeah. majorities in the state house. Um, so, I mean, 
<laughs> your, your description of how red Iowa is, is absolutely spot on. But, and so, uh, Amy, I guess considering the success Republicans enjoyed in 2020, um, do you think Reynolds is just trying to recreate that magic in 2022 by appealing to the same same base, the these Trump Republicans? Ah, uh, could be. I I think that you know I I would imagine she's playing it safe. I, I think it'd be a, a a mistake to directly appeal to to only Trump Republicans, um, since since it's not entirely clear that the state is full of them. Um, obviously they didn't vote him in the primary. They voted him in the you know, general election and, and again in the general election. But I think Iowa's a little more moderate, you know, than than some other places might be. And I think that she'd be good to to not necessarily, you know, jump full on in the Trump train. I think if she wants to do that, she can point to, you know, policies that she had in agreement with him and and note how much she's gotten done. But I think, you know, Todd's right. She can play on the strength of checking all of these boxes off that she had promised voters. It would it would be interesting to see how the school choice uh, bill polls with Iowans. It would be interesting yeah. to see what kind of support it has, because I have a feeling it might not have majority support. I think, you know, basically all of, you know, we've we've received lots of letters to the editor on it, and none of them have been supportive of it. I mean, it's maybe it's just because that the opposition is more mobilized and the supporters don't feel like they have to lift a finger because they've got the votes, but. Hmm. Uh, and, you know, I, you know, on the one hand, you know, Reynolds did not exactly win over Fred Hubble by a landslide. Right. Uh, but mm-hmm. on the other hand, 2020, you know, by all historic or 2022, by all historical standards and and, you know, conventional wisdom is probably going to be a good Republican year. Unless, of course, the party splinters and there's a Patriot Party, <laughs> and the yeah. Republican Party yeah. and, uh, you know, the Trump but, Party. Yeah. So I think. Reynolds is probably looking at the, you know, at the horizon, thinking that, you know, it's going to be a good election for Republicans, so she doesn't have a lot to worry about. And we also don't know who's going to run against her. And if if it doesn't look like, a, you know, good, you know, a good landscape, it may she may not draw high profile opponents. But that remains mm-hmm. to be seen. I think I, she was smart to stay on Trump's good side. He won't probably try to primary her in that case. Right. Yeah, I, right. Good yeah. point. Todd, how much do you think her success is going to be connected to COVID? I mean, if by, you know, football season, we all have our vaccinations and we can go to games and go to the bars and, you know, do all the things that we remember doing back before COVID, um, mm-hmm. it seems like her, her chances for re-election are really good. If, on the other hand, we have another surge, um, I mean, you know, we're still quite a ways out from Election Day, November 2022, but it seems like her um, standing and her support has really taken a beating over the past, uh, whatever, 10 months because of COVID and the way she's handled it, whether whether she's done a good job or not. She's she's really taken a lot of grief for it, um, as I guess pretty much every governor in every state has. Um, it, it, I mean, does yeah, she rise and fall on COVID? Well, I, I think it's a lot's going to depend on the vaccine rollout. If good progress is made, and I mean, a lot of this is out of her hands, of course, because, you know, the, the governor isn't manufacturing vaccine herself. But I mean, it's that that's going to be a play a big part because you can already feel sort of the anxiety building 
as people are, you know, getting impatient and that's true and and having a hard time sort of figuring out how to get in line and and what they need to do. And I I know we've got a map now that's interactive, but that's you know that's maybe not maybe not great for folks that don't aren't you know online savvy. But uh, yeah, and how much I mean, that do they put on her? Yeah, well, I think you know the when you're in charge and, and and that's part of part of the you know challenge for her is that she really has i mean the legislature sort of stood on the sidelines and and the, the governor has been really the the face of this pandemic response she's taking control of it so if it if the vaccinations go well and we get past it and i think people will feel good about it but if we don't they won't and because she's the face of it that's she's going to get the credit or the blame. Exactly. So that's, you know, by 2022, if everything goes well and, you know, we, we make our way out of it, I don't know how much people will even want to talk about it. I mean, that's, hmm. that's uh, I mean, I, I've been sort of reading some of the history of the 1918 pandemic. And yeah, once the pandemic was over with, people just sort of moved on and didn't, didn't want to rehash it. That's why they were the greatest generation, Todd. (laughs) They dealt with their trauma and they moved on. Yeah, we buried the dead and we got going. (laughs) I was just thinking, I wonder if uh, ethanol plants can uh, manufacture the vaccine. I mean, Mm. if if that was possible, we could crank up those plants and be inoculating people twice and three times Mm. and four times. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, they could also, you know, at least convert to distilled spirits yeah. <laughs> one or the other just give us one medicinal yeah. exactly just something to, to do while we wait coping mechanism right <laughs> <laughs> all right well speaking of elections uh, amy a waver waverly city councilman uh, has proposed changing city elections there to rank choice voting Voters could cast a ballot for more than one candidate in a city council race, but would, as the name implies, rank their choices um, in order of preference. Um, what's his um, thinking on this? So uh, it's Brian Bergen is the Waverly City Councilman uh, that brought this up in, in like the la- the latter part of the meeting when they're just like chit chatting and discussing their city council comments. And he's a he's a mathematics professor at, at Wartburg College, and he's actually teaching a class right now called the Mathematics of Democracy. So he's teaching voting systems. The topic of instant runoff came up and he brought it up to the council saying, this is actually a really good idea. Um, there are a couple places around that that do this and we should try it because it could save us money on a runoff election. So I looked into this. Um, and so you might remember that Maine does this. Um, Alaska also um, has this for some elections. Um, New York City is going to start this for elections this year. Um, but cities like Minneapolis, St. Paul and San Francisco already use this for municipal elections. Um, and you've also got this around the world in places like Australia, India, Ireland. Um, there's an organization called Fair Vote, and they advocate for this practice. They say it'll be more fair and functional of a democracy. Um, but it hasn't been tried in Iowa. So it's actually unclear if it's legal or if they would need permission from the state to do it. Um, there'd be other considerations. So you would save money on a runoff election, for example, which is thousands or tens of thousands of dollars, depending on how big your city is, but also um, you would have to spend money on getting new machines, you know, new ballots, obviously the new machines that can read those ballots, and then just voter education drives. 
because now you have to explain to people um, exactly how this is going to work. Basically, if you don't vote for the candidate that is one of the top two and you voted for the least candidate, your second choice then gets counted and then that determined, that's basically that instant runoff election. So it's a little bit complicated and it'll take some time for, for people to really get their hands around, particularly if they're going to be the first ones in Iowa to try it. But it's really, really interesting. It is. And what I've read about uh, ranked choice voting is that it really can change the dynamics of campaigning because mm. you don't necessarily want to go full on attack on your opponent because you're hoping that people. Uh, you know, people will rank you one, two, or three. I mean, obviously they want yeah. to rank one, but you don't want to uh, be, be five, for example. Five. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah. It, one theory is that um, there's less of that uh, attacking your opponents and you want to try and present yourself uh, favorably to a broader range of voters, not just your base, but a broader range of voters. Um, it does so get eliminate negative campaigning then? Well, that, that's the theory. I don't, I mean, that's a pretty, that's a pretty big ask. Uh, yeah. But um, it, I think it would change the dynamics of campaigning because, you know, you, you have to reach out to more voters. You want to be one, two or three on every ballot. You don't want to be left out mm-hmm. at all. And then, then there's the whole thing about, okay, um, you know, do I tell my supporters only vote for me? and uh, don't vote for two and three or vote for the guy who is already down in like ninth or 10th in the in the polls vote for that Mm -hmm. person so um yeah it it, it will give the campaign consulting uh organizations a whole new line of work uh basically you know (laughs) well that's it'll be full employment for them (laughs) it'll be yeah nate nate silver will (laughs) <laughs> yeah have fits <laughs> oh yeah i mean i think it'll be interesting that new york city's trying it because i think that'll really raise its profile this year um so they're going right. to start that if for their january or their june primaries and then mm-hmm. um in the in the november um elections they're also going to be doing it so i think that'll really raise its profile you'll start seeing a lot more articles in a lot more places and think pieces and i think people will really either come around to it or form a dislike of it. And maybe that'll answer the question for Waverly. Well, and, and a lot of cities that have the runoff elections for their mayor and city council have been uh, changing their, um, how they handle that. I think Cedar Rapids has done away with the runoff elections, haven't they, Todd? No, they, they still have oh, them. Still have them. Okay. I thought yeah, they, they were. Still have, they still have the December runoff. Yeah. Yeah, which to me is like a, it always is confusing. And I think it's confusing for voters too. You go, you know, you have this big campaign, you go vote, and then it's like, oh yeah, you got to come back in a month. And and those are historically lower attended. Oh yeah, real, yeah. a lot lower. And Unless they are right. a big expense for cities that they can't necessarily budget for. Right, right, yeah. Um, as Amy mentioned, Maine has been out front in the use of ranked choice voting uh, and a number of cities around the country ha- are doing this. Um but Todd, I'm wondering, looking ahead to the 2024 presidential election, yeah, sorry to make you do that, um, what impact might ranked choice voting have if or as the Republican Party splinters? Yeah. So does does Maine actually do ranked choice voting on like federal offices, the whole? I believe so. I believe okay. so, yeah. Well, I, you know, I by 2024, I'm not sure how many states will have adopted 
this. Uh, I mean, Iowa is not exactly the most uh, pro-change state sometimes, I mean, embracing innovation. I mean, I live in a town where people are still upset about roundabouts. So <laughs> rank yeah. choice, choice voting, I don't know what, what that would do. But yeah, conceivably, I mean, if, if you've got, you know, if, if the, well, if the Republican Party fractures into multiple parties, then I don't know, I mean, rank choice could have an impact because if you wanted to vote for, you know, the Republican nominee first choice and the Patriot Party nominee second choice, I mean, that would be, right. I suppose, significant. Yeah, um, it, it does have implications for the, the lower political parties. Um, so yeah. even on the other side, on the Democratic side, you yep. could start seeing a Green Party polling better. Um, you could see, you know, on the Republican side, a Libertarian Party, yep. a possible Trump Patriot Party, right? So it definitely has implications. Yeah, yeah. What I it's it would be it'll be interesting to see if other states uh, take it on, especially red states. I mean, what you mm -hmm. know, what you know, are the the Nebraska's and Iowa's and Missouri's and all those going to think about that. Well, I, would, I would anticipate at some point it may become, you know, a, an election reform that people embrace, but it's, you know, well, we're, yeah, we're for a lot, a lot of folks. Definitely years and years away from that on, on the federal level and like for presidential races. But I, I think it, I wouldn't be surprised to see it, in, you know, uh, more cities, uh, go this route for the reasons that they're talking about in Waverly to save money. Um, it might, I would be interested too, if on the local level, it would increase participation, um, you know, that, uh, people would be willing to run. Um, if, I mean, even in some of the bigger cities in Iowa, at least we're seeing when people run for city council, they're, you know, pretty soon they're like, well, that guy's a Republican or she's a Democrat or that sort of thing. And so it, even though mm -hmm. it's nonpartisan, it does become partisan. If mm -hmm. rank choice, there might be less of that. I don't know. Uh, you know, well, Any, anything to increase participation would be good, I think. Yeah, I think you're well, right, because some people will, you know, oh, I'm not going to vote because, you know, they're just going to win anyway. If you get the chance to vote for your niche candidate as a number one and then put your second choice as a number two, you know, and then that number two ends up winning, you still feel like your vote counted. Right. You still feel like you still voted your conscience. Yeah. And you could you could uh, do ranked choice voting in, in a bill and, and also include like a re doing the electoral college to apportion it by congressional district so yeah yeah which what there are two states that do that maine and yeah. nebraska nebraska yeah yeah i mean you know republicans would like to do that in california and i think mm -hmm. democrats would like to do that in some red states and sure <laughs> I, I don't know i haven't studied it i don't know how the, how the parties what which party would gain advantage but that's being talked about mm-hmm mm -hmm. Well, when ranked choice voting is uh, adopted for presidential elections, we'll talk about it on a future edition of On Iowa Politics. If you're still hungry for more political conversation, join me, Todd Dorman, Aaron Jordan, and Adam Sullivan of the Gazette, along with Iowa Capital Dispatch editor Kathy Obradovich for the January edition of Pints and Politics, which you can find under the special events tab at the bottom of the gazette.com homepage. Yeah, I hope you did conversation was worth your time. If you like it, tell a friend and subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you find your podcast. Send fan mail to podcast at thegazette.com. 
And you can find us on the home pages of the Quad City Times, Sioux City Journal, Muscatine Journal, Mason City Globe Gazette, Waterloo, Cedar Falls Courier, and the Cedar Rapids Gazette. Scarlet Runner will take us out. If you know an Iowa band or musician who should be on our show, send us a sound file and subscribe to On Iowa Politics on iTunes and Stitcher. For Amy, Todd, and our producer, Stephen, I'm James Lynch. Thanks for listening. Stay well. Is my religion Some will be my guide In the outer atmosphere I got nowhere left to Yeah.